Good Tuesday morning, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and this is the Jerry and Jerry Show on the I Love Seville Network. It's great to connect with college football fan bases across the eastern seaboard, heck, across the country. College football on the brain, and, and for those that have a sour taste in your mouth, college basketball practice has started for Tony Bennett's bunch. The boys on the hardwood will talk round ball, we'll talk pigskin today on the program. The Jerry and Jerry Show airs on every social media platform known to mankind. It's presented by Stablecraft Brewing in Waynesboro, Virginia. Stablecraft Brewing, taste the best farm fresh beer and food at Stablecraft Brewing in Waynesboro. This brewery is fantastic for families, for sports fans, for those that love games, for those that love the outdoors, for those that love live music. And frankly speaking, some of the best craft beer and cider in the business. I got a six-pack right here in front of me. Ladies and gentlemen, I cannot wait to enjoy the six-pack. In the six-pack, we have the Stable Craft Brewing Robot Cowboy IPA. It's a New England IPA, some of my favorite. The lightest beer you got, an American Light, American Light Lager from Stable Craft Brewing. I think this is just absolutely fantastic branding. The Bitchin' Brown Ale. My uh, colleague Judah Wickhauer's favorite. And if we go to the two shot and welcome our star of the show, Hootie Ratcliffe, he's got a cider that's got the man <laughs> licking his chops over there, Hootie. Yeah, I'd, uh, I, guess, uh, I guess they knew I like blackberry. So uh, blackberry hard cider, stable craft brewing. Can't wait to uh, see what that tastes like. It looks delicious. And uh, we want to thank Mark Lickman for bringing those by this morning. That's uh, I mean, it just, it just looks so cool. It looks absolutely cool. Fantastic PR guy, Mark Lickman, friend of the program, made this uh, relationship possible. Hootie Ratcliffe, we'll start with you. Brennan Armstrong, Robert and I, they come to Scott Stadium this past Friday for a national televised contest. The line was eight, eight, eight and a half, depending on where you're shopping. It comes down to a buzzer beater. Frankly, it comes down to penalties. Um, where do you want to begin with NC State, UVA, and a nationally televised contest? Well, I guess the main thing is, even though Virginia lost uh, at the last second on a walk-off field goal, uh, thanks in part to those penalties, I would think if I'm a Virginia fan, even though I'm disappointed, particularly the way they lost, there is some hope out there. They, a lot of people going into the season thought they had no chance of winning a game like that against a middle-of-the-pack ACC team, but... They could have easily have won that game. They, they should have sent it into overtime, really. Uh, this team, it's not going to have a winning season unless something miraculous happens. But they can win a couple of games and, and maybe start turning the corner toward next year because they, they've, got, they've got some guys that are playmakers and – what they need to do is develop some of the younger talent to where they can contribute. Because uh, most of the receiving yards are, are by two different guys. Malik Washington, who transferred in from Northwestern, uh, I expected him to be good, but he's surpassed my expectations. He's He was ACC Receiver of the Week and uh, had 170 yards receiving. <clears throat> 107 of that after yards after catch and two touchdowns and made a lot of big plays for Virginia. He's he's already, Jerry, made more plays of 40 yards or more than the entire Virginia team did last season. 
just on his, his own. He so. was targeted 14 times, 10 catches, yeah. a buck 70 through the air, two touchdowns. Clearly, Calandria and Washington have got a connection that's been developed very quickly. Yeah, and Malachi Fields has, has been spectacular so far, a local kid from Monticello High School, doing a bang-up job. And Anthony Calandria continues to impress people. I mean, goodness gracious. Uh, He's only 419 yards away from breaking the freshman single-season record at Virginia. Uh, 419, he could do that in two games. Um, I mean, he's already broken the the freshman single-game record three times in three games. So uh, this kid has a ton of potential. Uh, and he, he can run the ball, too. He, he had 43 yards rushing. He had, actually had 61, but was sacked a couple of times. On one of those rushes, it was a video game highlight. Yeah. I mean, it looked like he was running the football uh, with the joystick in his hands. Just made a linebacker, I mean, broke the linebacker's ankles. And, and that's one of the things I like about him is when things fall apart or if he's purposely going out of the pocket, He's not looking to run like some of the quarterbacks, like Armstrong, for example. I think when Armstrong decides that he's going to have to run it, he just ducks his head and takes off. Calandria, what I like about him is that when he keeps plays alive with his feet, he's still got his eyes focused downfield looking for a receiver. And I don't know how many times he's come close to the line of scrimmage, found a guy open, and got the ball off to him somehow. And that's, that's a rare talent, and I think that's something that's going to serve him well over the rest of his career. Uh, Calandria, guys, clearly the quarterback of the future. Now we got to cut to the chase. Calandria gets Maryland, some, some, some turnovers and some poor decision-making in a nationally televised contest. And, and, I, and I hate to say this because the kid's a, he's a first year. I mean, he's a youngster. The, the penalty when he removed his helmet. Now, to Calandria's credit, and I feel like I'm going to bat for the youngster here, it was clearly falling off as he was falling to the yeah. turf. Yeah. Now, he then you know, emphasized the falling off of the helmet by ri- pretty much ripping it off and then posing for the fan base and for those in attendance, much to the delight of those at Scott Stadium. Unfortunately, that leads to terrible field, terrible kickoff position. And next thing you know, NC State's return man, one of the most dangerous return men in the conference, takes the ball to midfield and really sets up an opportunity for the Wolfpack to take it into UVA territory and, 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 and try a game-winning field goal. And, and again, a penalty, this time on the linebacker Jackson, um, as time expired, one that he likely will never forget for the rest of his life, uh, leads to a re-kick, and NC State, as the clock ticks zero, Hootie, the game-winning field goal. Yeah, that was almost an automatic make from that range. Chip shot. For that kicker, yeah, no question. And, and you're right, that's the second game in a row where the kickoff return team has blown it. Uh, they, they lost their momentum at Maryland with – after they went up 14 to nothing and giving up a 98-yard kickoff return the other, the other day uh, after the Calandria penalty, uh, was, they were penalized 15 yards on the kickoff. So they were already kicking from further back than they normally would, 15 yards further back. Uh, they lost containment again. The, the kid, like you said, from NC State, Gray is a really good return man. 
He returned a 37 yards, I think, to the Virginia 48. <clears throat> That's almost field goal range for their kicker. And they didn't have to do a lot to, to get in position to kick the winning field goal. So, uh, as you as you said, Jackson vaulted the center, got another penalty. Clear-cut penalty. Yeah, and, and he's the one that blocked the kick. So, if he hadn't vaulted the center, the kick wouldn't have been blocked. He might have made it anyway. But And then, you know, down there on the two-point conversion uh, after the touchdown – uh, Ty Furnish, the guard, made a uh, a dumb play and and got a personal foul, hitting an NC State player after the play was over, and that made him have to go back to the 17 yard line to try a two point conversion, and somehow they made it, but the odds of that are not very good. We got um we got Wokisan watching on Twitter right now. He's a season ticket holder at the University of Virginia since 1998. I count six states watching us here on the Jerry and Jerry Show. Viewers and listeners, put your questions in the feed. We will relay them live on air. We'll talk ACC. We'll talk Virginia Tech. I'll ask Cootie the question, what is the best football team in the Atlantic Coast Conference right now? There are currently six undefeated ACC football teams, six in the Atlantic Coast Conference, Unblemished. UVA travels to Boston College for a 2 o'clock kickoff this weekend. The Eagles a three-point favorite. The over-under, ladies and gentlemen, at 55 points. Hootie, five things we learned. And this is something you can find on jerryratcliffe.com. I'm on the website every single day, not only to prepare for the Jerry and Jerry show, but because I'm a diehard Wahoo fan. jerryratcliffe.com. Five things we learned in this contest. A lot of people are asking for you to start with Anthony Calandria, the first-year quarterback who's got moxie and chutzpah for days, my friend. Oh, no question about it. And I, I know the coaches don't listen to media people, uh, and I'm, they're going to do what they want to do. And they see these guys every day. We don't. But from what I've seen thus far, uh, I think they should just go ahead and award Calandria with the job. I know uh, I can see both sides of the story, but it's been uh, over three weeks now since Calandria has, excuse me, since Tony Musket has played in a game. He was hurt in the second half of the Tennessee game, but he hasn't been able to answer the bell over the past three weeks. Calandria, meanwhile, has taken over this team He has the confidence of his teammates. He's shown he can move the chains. He's a very accurate passer. He's a very savvy guy. He he understands a lot of the game. He's learning. It's on-the-job training. He's going to make some mistakes. But this kid, he's got it. Uh, He's he's not the biggest kid in the world, but he's got a strong arm. He understands the passing game very well. Uh, Again, he's going to make some judgment mistakes, but... He gets it. He's got good touch. He can throw the deep ball. Um, He's a threat outside the pocket? He he gives fans hope. He's a reason to come to the game. There it is. And and I think that's something that Virginia fans really want. I mean, two years ago it was Armstrong. Before that it was Bryce Perkins. They, They gave Virginia hope. They gave the fans hope that, hey, we can be in this game in the fourth quarter. We can possibly win. Um. That's what Calandria does. I mean, in that last touchdown drive, Jerry, that ended up tying it at 21-all in the last minute of the game, he was 5 of 6 passing for 50 yards. 
it was a 66-yard uh, drive. He was responsible for 60 of those 66 yards. The kids just got a lot of moxie, and I, I, I just like him. And I, I think it, I think uh, you just give him the job. He's earned it. He he owns it. Uh, you sh- he should have the job. Some of the best commentary from Hootie Rackliff, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, here on the Jerry and Jerry Show, presented by Stablecraft Brewery. I 1,000% agree with you. The team is 0-4. If, if there's an opportunity for the fan base to rally around anything, and you see what UVA is trying to do, they're trying to change the in-game experience. You've got the lights going on and off. You know, they're trying different things here to try to invigorate the crowd or to maybe, and I hate to say this, maybe distract the crowd with some smoke and mirrors because the performance on the field may be not what it should be. Calandria embodies star power. Yes. And some kids, some musicians, some writers, you had this, you have this, some, some artists, they have this it factor. You know, whenever Jerry Ratcliffe's column was in the newspaper, everyone read the column. Whenever Jerry Ratcliffe writes something on jerryratcliffe.com, everyone reads it. You have the it factor. Calandria has that hoodie. He does. And, you know, you want your quarterback to have that because he's the guy that can make magic happen. And, and so far he has. And uh, I know that Musket, they, the, the philosophy is you don't lose your job because of injury. But it's been, like I said, it's been three weeks. And this guy has firmly delivered and has the confidence of his teammates. Do you want to disrupt that kind of success, that kind of rhythm? Uh, going to Boston College where you have a chance to win a game and come home and play William & Mary where you have another chance to win a game and maybe get some momentum going in this program. And uh, I understand what they're trying to do to Scott Stadium with the lights and all that stuff, but I think fans in general believe that's kind of like putting lipstick on a pig. It's gimmicky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, they're not there for all that stuff. I mean, maybe some people are, but the majority of fans just want to come and see their team compete and have a chance to win. This kid gives you a chance to win. 100% said. Said so well. Chad Wood, he's saying Calandria is awesome, but Calandria has got to know when to be aggressive and when to be smart. 1,000% agree with you. I think we sure. both do. Yep. John Blair and Stanton, just a fantastic um, Esquire, city manager, city attorney, all-around A-plus guy. He says, Jerry and Jerry, I love this show. He also says, where is the breakdown on special teams occurring on returns? Last season and this season, UVA's return team has repeatedly allowed big punt and kick returns. Is it a scheme issue or is it just simply a talent issue? Please ask that question to Hootie Ratcliffe. I think it's probably a little bit of both, and I, and I think in some cases the scheme might be there and the players are blowing their assignments. They've, they've lost containment the last two big kickoff returns. The one at Maryland, they lost total containment. There was nobody. There was only one guy on that entire side of the field. And once you get a wall behind you, all you got to do is make one guy miss. Uh, Matt Gainier, bless his heart, the kicker is, is this – last resort safety valve and trying to knock a guy out of bounds and you know it's his first time playing football right. in his life even right. though he's 34 years old it, tackling is not an easy thing to do if you've never done it before right uh, and I'm not blaming him but uh, you know 
they've lost they've simply lost containment they that's what they did the other day I, you learn that in in little league football and and definitely in high school football that if you're on the edges coming down the field you can't be sucked into the middle of the field and leave the sidelines open for a guy because like i said a lot of times they just got to make one guy miss and then it's up to them in the open field to to find their way to the end zone and that's what they've done the last couple of weeks. I, I, I'm surprised that the special teams guy hasn't um, nailed that down a little bit more. And they've they've had the same problem with some punt returns as well. So um, that's something they've got to get fixed. You just can't let because you're going to kick off and, and punt every game, and you just can't afford to give up a cheap touchdown or. Uh, field position like that with the game on the line. Jerry Ratcliffe dropping dimes. Let's go to the studio camera, Judah Wickhauer. Um, Stable Craft Brewery, a uh, proud partner of this program in Waynesboro. If you're looking for a fantastic farm-to-table um, pers- personal experience, an opportunity to just have fantastic quality of life with your friends and family, we very much ex- uh, suggest Stable Craft Brewing, guys. Questions are coming in fast and furious right now. This is a really good one from Leslie, who's watching in Richmond. Guys, I love the program. Uh, do you guys think that uh, Tony Musket is, in fact, injured, or is it more of uh, the coaching staff doing right by Musket and just basically playing the injury card so he doesn't lose face? That's a good question. Yeah, I, I could see that where some people would be um, curious about that. And I, I, don't think that, I don't think that that's they're putting on a facade. I think he's really... Hasn't been 100%. Some of these shoulder injuries can really linger linger, and throw a quarterback out of whack. And if, if it's not 100% and, you, you know, if, if it affects the, your ability to throw or to hand off or do, any, do your job properly, you don't want to take a chance on that because you go in, you get it re-injured, and you're probably out for the season. So um, I don't think they're trying to – Save face. I, I think that they that I, I truly believe Tony Elliott cares a lot about his players, and that he doesn't want to put a guy out there who isn't healthy enough to to do his job properly. So I, it, it's a it was a long term decision instead of a short term answer, and, and jeopardizing him for further injury. Um, Chad Wood wonders if if the offensive lineman is going to be benched this week says, eye-poking, jumping over the center on a field goal. We're making elementary school mistakes, and at some point, Tony Elliott is going to have to take the heat for this. You know, the fan base um, on, over the weekend, and you saw it on Twitter, uh, it's very much percolating on Twitter. Yep. Uh, Twitter is where emotions uh, go to live, especially the raw emotions from the moment. Uh, much of the fan base are calling for Coach Elliott's um, job. Some of the fan base, and it's becoming more of a minority, are saying, look, he's in his second year, and his first year was cut up by a tragedy, and he doesn't have his players, his recruits in the system yet. Let's give this guy at least three years to go to, you know, from a gimmicky spread offense to a pro-style offense and to have the recruits that he needs to run his new offense in the system. Um, Then the response on Twitter to that statement was the penalties, especially late-game penalties, are a reflection of a coaching staff. Where do you want to go on the Tony Elliott topic? Yeah, I think the fan base is split. I think so, too. 
Uh, they were early on against Bronco as well. Uh, they were against Mike London. They were against Al Grove. Um, and, you know, you're on one side or the other. Either you support Elliot and want to give him time to, like you said, get his recruits in here that will fit his schemes um, and, and have time to recruit. And uh, some others don't have the patience. They, they believe that they could go with somebody else. I, I don't, I, I, I mean, who are you going to get? But uh, anyways. Um, I'll throw this, this for the this, sake of a talk show a, to you. This is a tough place to win football games. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I'll throw this to you for the sake of a talk show. Right. Here's strictly for the sake of a talk show. A lot of folks are saying in the era of the transfer portal, the window of patience is much more narrow now. Mm-hmm. Because a, recruit, because a coach can recruit players that fit his system from other programs that are looking to jump ship, and they no longer have to develop high school talent into college football talent. And the transfer portal has made seats hotter and the window of opportunity more narrow. Do you buy that? That is true. There's some truth to that. But you also have to consider what program you're talking about. Virginia can't take just any guy in the transfer portal. Some credits don't transfer. They've lost some guys because of that. <clears throat> They're not just going to throw their doors open and take 30 transfers uh, like some schools do. Some of the guys may not be able to qualify academically, honestly. Um, and so uh, it, it's not like Colorado where you can go in with Deion Sanders and recruit 80 new players, a whole new football team. Uh, I don't think they have taken full advantage of the transfer portal. I think they could do better, something that they're going to have to emphasize a lot more uh, this coming year because they're going to lose some of their better playmakers like Washington as a graduate student. Um, and it's just something you can restock and, and rebuild your team. And a lot of the successful teams have done that. Florida State has been really good at that. <clears throat> they took quite a few transfers. I'm not sure Virginia can take as many as <clears throat> Florida State, but um, that that is true. <clears throat> and um, But it doesn't always guarantee success. That are the NIL. Look what Texas A&M has done, for example, uh, with the NIL and the transfer portal, and they're still struggling. So... It's not the complete answer, but it does put more pressure on the coaches <clears throat> to get things turned around in a hurry. And, uh, yeah, you know, they, they do have some guys that have helped them from the portal. They just don't have enough. Jerry Ratcliffe dropping dimes here, guys. We have six states watching us on the program. Vanessa Parkhill on Earliesville and Earliesville liking the show. Twitter, jump in with comments. We will gladly relay them live on air. Wendy Ratcliffe Perry. Thank you for sharing the show. I believe she's your daughter right there, Hootie Ratcliffe. She absolutely is, and I love her to death. She's watching the program. Thank you kindly for sharing the show. Joshua Tracy, hello. Heather Walker, Johnson Village, hello. Lisa Costello on Cherry, hello. Newly married man, Jesse Rutherford in Nelson County, the Board of Supervisor watching the program. Congratulations. Aaron, Aaron King, welcome to the program. This question is coming from uh, Fort Myers, Florida. 
Uh, Jerry and Jerry, I am a 1998 UVA graduate, and we watch all the games as much as possible. We also get up to usually one home game per year and a couple of basketball games per year. Please ask Hootie Ratcliffe this question. Will Anthony Calandria transfer after this season? That's a good question, and it's something that a lot of people are wondering about because, I mean, look at the situation. After what he's been able to do the past three weeks, how do you tell him if you're Tony Elliott that you're going to be on the bench this week at Boston College and Tony Musket's going to start? You can't. And, and if Musket comes in and plays well, it's still his job. Uh, and if it stays that way the rest of the season, Calandria is going to look around and say, well, you know, I had the potential here to become Virginia's all-time leading passer and total offense guy if assuming his career continues to go the way it has in the first three games. And there's no indication of why it wouldn't because he has talent. Uh, there's going to be a lot of schools, particularly down in the state of Florida, where there's a bunch of uh, FBS schools now. And that's why this question comes from Fort Myers, Florida. <clears throat> yeah. The follow-up on the comment is, folks knew Calandria was a player. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, certainly uh, he – I had a big name in, in the high school circles down there. Uh, the Tampa, St. Pete uh, area is a big high school football hotbed. And, uh, I mean, he he had uh, over, I think, 7,000 yards passing during his high school career. So a lot of the people around the state know about him. Uh, some of the Florida schools, I believe, maybe uh, offered him he didn't have but one other FBS offer, I think, from uh, or at least a Power Five offer, and that was from Kentucky early on. <clears throat> he actually committed to somebody um, and backed out of it. I, I think it might have been Middle Tennessee State or, or somebody like that. But um, so there, there's a lot of people that know about him, and everybody's always shopping for a quarterback who can throw the football because that's the name of the game these days. It, if you can't throw the football, um, you're behind the, the eight ball. And so he's, he's going to be a hot commodity should he be benched. And it depends on the kid. Uh, you know, and, and sometimes his family and his friends, they're influenced by people like that. Uh, colleges come to his high school coach and say, hey, um, Anthony should be starting somewhere. He could come to our school and start and be here a four, three or four year starter. So um, that's that's a very good question, and I don't think anybody knows the answer right now. And the weeks to come will determine whether he's playing or if he's on the bench. You know, if I'm Tony Elliott and I decide to play Tony Musket. I'm going to find a way to get Calandria into the game. I know it's not ideal playing two quarterbacks, but it's not ideal losing a guy that could be your quarterback of the future. Guy, yeah, the guy that could be here for another three years after this year. Jerry Ratcliffe dropping dimes. He's 100% right. Middle Tennessee State, um, Calandria committed to in April of 2022. Calandria received offers, like Hootie Ratcliffe said, from Kentucky, received offers from UCF, Received offers from U, uh, Utah State, the Hawaii Rainbows. Wow, that would have been something to watch him in that. 
That's a, definitely a school that likes to throw the football. Like to throw the football. <laughs> Western Carolina offered them. Georgia State offered them. Bowling Green offered them. Florida Atlantic offered them. UVA offered them on June 13, 2022. He uh, got offers from the Richmond Spiders. The Arkansas State offered them. Western Kentucky. Uh, the Buffalo Bulls, Grambling State, Tennessee Tech, Jacksonville State. So we're looking at a youngster that was offered, but not by heavy hitters. So in a lot of ways, overlooked. And perhaps overlooked because of his size, yeah. his height. I mean, we don't talk, he's not the prototypical drop-back passer. He's not 6'3", 6'4", over, you know, seeing over the offensive line. This guy is not the tallest quarterback, but what he makes up for, what he loses with the height, he makes up for with the athleticism, the quickness, the arm strength, the moxie, the ability to throw on the run. And frankly speaking, I think Calandria may think he's the best player on the field at any time he is out on the field. He has a lot of confidence. He's got a lot of confidence, <laughs> and I love it. And I think, I mean, you know this better than anyone. I would imagine his teammates are gravitated or magnetized to confidence like that. Yeah, I mean, particularly on a football team that's not having a successful season or struggling to find itself, you've got to you've got to form an identity somewhere, and you've got to have somebody you can believe in. And uh, if it's your quarterback, it's even better because that's the guy that has the ball in his hands and can make magic happen. And, and this kid can. And you want to rally around a guy like that. And he has their confidence. They'll go to war with him any day. And he's a very positive kid. Uh, He's not rattled easily. And uh, you mentioned two Florida schools on that list. So I guarantee you they'll be keeping their eyes on what's going on up here because if, if things go south for him in terms of playing time, uh, you don't think UCF might be knocking on his parents' door there in St. Pete? Um, you're getting props from Edward Jenkins on Twitter. I'm seeing eight states watching the program. Wahoo fans, ACC fans, Virginia Tech fans, jump in with the conversation. We'll adapt to your commentary. John Blair says this is a really, really good show right now. Jerry Ratcliffe providing fantastic insight. The man's a Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. He's covered this team for 40-plus years. The question continues to come on the feed. If This is a really good question. This is from Grayson, who's watching right over there, Hootie, in North Downtown. Mm-hmm. He says, if Tony Elliott makes the mistake and he plays Tony Musket in place of Anthony Calandria, if I were Calandria, I would transfer from this program as well. It's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately mindset with the transfer portal and the NIL. I think that's a good comment right there. It truly is, and, I mean, we've seen evidence of that all the time, that, I mean... I can't remember the numbers, but it's staggering how many people transfer. Uh, it used to be when the transfer portal first opened, it was mostly just quarterbacks. It's it's every position now, and but particularly quarterbacks because schools are always looking for a guy that can put points on the board, and, and this kid has shown he can do that. And he's got the fan base excited. He's got them believing that, Maybe something good can happen. You, you you risk losing some of your fans if if you take the ball out of his hands right now. So you gotta you gotta find a way for him to play, even if if you're going with Musket as the starter. You, you got to get Calandria some time. 
This is a good question right here. We appreciate this one from Keswick, Virginia, and from Lauren. Who does this quarterback remind you of past quarterbacks from UVA? No one, really, because uh, of his size. He's, he's only 5'11". 5'11", listed. Listed. Yeah. yeah. We know that can be exaggerated. Right. <laughs> particularly in college and high school football. But, uh, I mean, he, he doesn't. He's a young-looking kid. He's he's a baby-faced baby kid. He doesn't look like that he's a, a college freshman, really. But uh, I can't say that he reminds me of anybody because uh, he's a he's he's so different than Brennan Armstrong. He's so different than Bryce Perkins and Kurt Benkert. He's not a Sean Moore or a Matt Blunden type guy. Um, I don't think he's not got... Aaron Brooks. Right. I don't think he's got the explosiveness or the open field athleticism of a Biscuit Hagens. No. Nope. Um, Biscuit Hagens was able to play a, a number of positions at the collegiate level and at the pro level. Landry can't do that. Um, that's a great question. I, he's not a Sewell. He's no. not... You know, he's not a Schaub. Uh, he's not a Blunden. No. Um, who does this guy remind you of? Kurt... Is he a Mikowski? No, not really. Not a magic man? No. Uh, I would say if it's anybody, he's probably closer to Biscuit than, than anybody because Biscuit, Biscuit was, wasn't the tallest. No, he was a little undersized. He was yeah. just a great athlete. Yeah. Um, he could make things happen with his legs and his arm and was really good out of the pocket, could throw in the pocket. So I would say if anybody, probably Biscuit. Marcus uh, Hagens now doing amazing things at Penn State. Penn State with uh, another Wahoo who you're very high on. Anthony Poindexter. The only man in the world that Hootie Ratcliffe allows uh, <laughs> allows him to call Mr. Ratcliffe. That's right. <laughs> Anthony Poindexter. <laughs> Questions, put them in the feed. We will relay them live on air. This is a really good question here. Hootie, what does it matter with the running backs? We can't seem to run the football to save our lives. If they can run the football a little bit more, that would take some pressure off of uh, Anthony Calandria. And that one right there is coming in from Seth. I'm going to mess up your last name, Seth. Uh, I'm just going to call you Seth right now. Is it Enrup? Seth Enrup, watching the program in short pump. Well, it's been a long time since Virginia's been, been able to establish a good running game. Bronco tried to do it and never really could. It's been a point of emphasis. Uh, Mike London tried to do it, and he had a, some success with it, with uh, Smoke Mizell and, and a couple other guys. Um, but nothing to the uh, impact of what it used to be like when uh, George Welsh was producing one NFL running back after another, after another, after another. Some of those guys were just recently nominated for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. One of those guys, a movie star on this program, thanks to Jerry Ratcliffe. Thomas Jones, our good friend, and Tiki Barber, and Chris Warren, who started his career here and then ended up at Ferrum, but played for years with the Seattle Seahawks. Terry so, Kirby. Terry Kirby. Uh, Barry Word. There were so many really great running backs. Uh, Anthony Womack was uh, another that followed through. Phoebus High School. Yep. And... Um, and, and Al Groh had a few guys, too. So uh, it's been a while since Virginia's been able to run the ball. And back, if you'll remember, one of the main reasons why George Welsh's teams and Al Groh's early teams with Alvin Pierman and, and some of those guys 
could run the football successfully is they had NFL linemen. They had offensive linemen, yeah. Yeah, they could block guys and dominate the line of scrimmage. And if you can dominate the line of scrimmage, you can control the football game. You can do anything you want to do. And that's not the case right now. It hasn't been the case here in a while. They've they've had a couple of decent offensive lines in recent years, but they transferred out. They had two essentially back-to-back years of – decent uh, offensive linemen, they all transferred out. One of them was an All-American, for goodness sake, went to Michigan and won the Outland Trophy. Uh, That's what's wrong with the running game right now, is that the offensive line is inexperienced to a degree. Uh, Lacking depth. There's not any, I don't, there might be an NFL lineman in there somewhere, but they're, they're yet to show us that. They haven't developed to that point, and uh, I, I keep going back to this. It's one of the greatest lines Al Groh ever said was, he said, Jerry, all running backs run the same when there's no hole. And if there's no hole, not many of these guys are talented enough to make their own hole. Uh, you, you don't have any Barry Sanders or Jim Browns in that backfield. You guys, I think they have some decent running backs. I think Paris Jones is, is pretty decent. I think Kobe Pace has some promise. Mike Hollins runs hard. Um, Xavier Brown, who's been injured, uh, I think has some promise. But, you know, if there's no hole, where are you going to run? There you go. 2.8 yards per carry for the Virginia running backs against NC State. I'll say it again. 2.8 yards per carry for the running backs. Can't do that. You can't do that, and especially with the first-year quarterback. It puts too much pressure on him. If you're any defensive coordinator worth your salt, you stack the box and you say, Calandria, beat us through the air. And until you prove to us that you can consistently beat us through the air, we're going to stack the box and take away every running lane possible and put you in third and long situations and see if the turnovers present themselves. They did against Maryland. They did against NC State. And, I mean, they're momentum killers. Yeah. We, saw, we saw what happened against NC State. Momentum killers. And that's going to be a blueprint for every defensive coordinator out there is jam the tackle box, make them throw it. And, you know, if, if you can get a good running game going, that, that takes a lot of pressure off of Calandria or Musket or whoever your quarterback is because they can use the play action to freeze the linebackers or the safeties. And it takes pressure off the defense. Yes. Because they chew up clock. Absolutely. So uh, – a good running game makes everything better, and, and right now it's just not happening. That you know, They have made some strides. They've gotten a little better week by week, but they're not there yet, and I don't know what's going to take to get there. we got a Boston College football team on the docket, kickoff Saturday in Chestnut Hill. The Eagles, they're not very good. They've got one win on the season. They beat Holy Cross 31-28. If there's anything they can hang their hat on the Eagles, it's a 31-29 loss to Florida State in Chestnut Hill. Florida State, the Seminoles, 4-0 on the season, 2-0 in conference play. We saw them beat up Clemson in a tight barn burner uh, on Saturday on national TV. Uh, The Vegas odds makers, Hootie Ratcliffe, I'll throw the lines to you, then pass the mic to you. They got the Eagles a three-point favorite. They got the over-under at 55 points. Kickoff at 2 o'clock. Where do you want to go with Boston College? Well, they're probably a three-point favorite because they're, they're home. They're playing at home. If it was here, it might be the other way around. Virginia might be a one-point favorite. But uh, uh, you're right, BC's not very good. John Halfley's job is clearly on the line up there. 
they played a decent game against Florida State, although I attribute that more to Florida State being unfocused and looking ahead to Clemson than I do going on the road to play BC. Although they have struggled a little bit, Florida State over the years, in in Boston. Um, they just got their doors blown off at Louisville this past weekend, 56-28. to 28. Louisville scored, Jerry, the first seven times they had the football and had 374 yards of offense in the first half and seven explosive plays of 27 or more yards. So if, when you look at that and you look and see what Calandria has done in the recent weeks with Virginia's offense, Virginia has a chance to go into Boston, into Chestnut Hill, and and get something going early uh, against a defense that clearly is it's pitiful. Yeah. yeah, and and so they could go into Boston and win this game if if they can eliminate some of the dumb mistakes they've been making. And um, I know Halfley said that he, he had never seen his team play like that, and he guaranteed it wouldn't happen again, but. Uh, you can't guarantee that if, if your defense is that shaky and your offense is not moving the football and the other team is playing well. And if Virginia has a chance to go in there and establish something early, set a tone and, and perhaps steal one on the road, which would do wonders for these guys' confidence if they could do that, especially coming home to play William & Mary. That's right. <clears throat> now, Boston College has a new – they switched quarterbacks, I think, for the Florida State game. He's a, he's a transfer from Central Florida, Thomas uh, Castellanos. He put up 400 yards against Florida State, and uh, 95 of that was his own rushing, so he threw for 305. Um, but against Louisville, uh, he was okay. He threw for 265 yards and three touchdowns. So uh, you got to be careful of him, but... Uh, if I'm Virginia, I'm thinking, if I'm Des Kitchens, the offensive coordinator, I, I'm looking strong at what Louisville did on those first seven possessions, all those explosive plays, and, and how to get something going offensively and take a little pressure off my defense. Boston College falls 28-56 to to Louisville, absolutely hammered Boston College. And it's important to emphasize this, guys. This is the two-game stretch where the Wahoos need to get some victories if they're going to win on the season. They got Boston College and Chestnut Hill. We just found out a 12 o'clock kick against London and William & Mary at Scott Stadium on the 7th of October, a Saturday. And then you got a pretty brutal stretch. You're at North Carolina in Chapel Hill. You're at Miami. This Georgia Tech football team's a 500 team, but Georgia Tech's got some upside. Then you got Louisville and Duke and Virginia Tech to close the season. I mean, that is a brutal way to finish the year. So Boston College and William & Mary, at least on paper, are looking like your two victories if you're going to get two wins this season. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, playing at Carolina and Miami is, is going to be a challenge for most anybody. Um, the Louisville game, it, I think it's on the road. Um, that's, that's, uh, it depends on how you're playing. Virginia, in Louisville, you're right. Yeah, Virginia has, has had some decent games in Louisville, but it's a hard place for Virginia to win. Thursday night, 7.30, kickoff, national TV, ESPN, Louisville, Thursday, November 9th. And then you got Duke, and a lot of people are thinking right now that Duke might actually challenge Florida State for the ACC title. Uh, Duke, Duke looks great. Duke, Duke looks great, and they, they dominated Clemson for the most part. 
Uh, we'll see how they go as the season goes along. The, I know college game day is going to be in Durham this weekend for the first time in history. Uh, and then you got the Hokies coming in here, and the way Tech is struggling right now, you can't discount Virginia possibly winning that game. So if if Virginia, and it depends a lot about how Virginia develops between now and then, and, and what Tech does as well. But uh, there are some chances to be in some games, but you're right for this most part. The second half of the schedule is pretty. Pretty challenging. How about this stat? Viewers and listeners, listen to this stat. I'm seeing 13 states watching us right here on the heat map. Duke Blue Devils, points scored on the season. Duke is 4-0 overall, 1-0 in conference play. He mentions the victory against Clemson. Duke has scored 149 points, Hootie. They've given up 35. And they've been smart in scheduling because, look, other than Clemson, who they had to play, look at who else they've played. Lafayette, Northwestern, and Connecticut. They beat Connecticut 41-7, Northwestern 38-14, Lafayette 42-7. Now, Duke does host Notre Dame. They got Notre Dame coming up in a, a few days. They got NC State uh, on the 14th out, out of a bye week. Then they're at Florida State, at Louisville, host Wake Forest, at UNC, at UVA, and Pitt to close the year. Yeah, and uh, but to one, your point, they did some cupcakes in the beginning of the year. Yeah, and and you know that's what I think Virginia should be doing right Definitely. now. Instead of playing Maryland, <clears throat> Tennessee, uh, you should be playing some of the worst teams you can find in college football and try to build some wins, build some confidence. Uh, I don't think Virginia's been real smart about their scheduling, but I know some of that was probably done when Bronco had things rolling, and it looked like things were uh, right for the future, but. You know, Duke and Wake Forest have, have both, and, and even NC State to some degree, have uh, got some rental victims on their schedules, and and that's what I think that's what you got to do until you can learn to win consistently. Um, Notre Dame's coming to Duke. That's that's why College Game Day is there. It's not because of Duke. <laughs> I mean, it is to a degree because they're undefeated, but it's because Notre Dame's coming to town and. And Notre Dame, a tough loss against Ohio State. I turned that game off before the game was over. Yeah. Before Notre Dame trotted out two consecutive plays of ten men on the field and allowed Ohio State to steal a win. Um, I, I count this question in seven different forms right now on the show. And this is a very pointed question about the head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, seven different people have asked this question on the show airs all over social media. And they're specifically asking you if Elliott's job is safe if he posts a bagel in the win column this year? That's a tough call. It, it's, I think it's only happened once in Virginia history as bad as Virginia football has been or was over that one particular stretch. Was it Sonny or Bestwick? It was, it was Sonny. It yeah. was uh, his second year. He was 0-12. But there were some other sidebars to that season. That, of course. That probably, we don't have to go down that road. No, we won't go down that <laughs> yeah. road. Um, but uh, – I, I, you know, I, I don't I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they're going to go 0-12, for one thing. Um, it's possible, but I, I don't think they will because they're, they're playing better. And um, if you're Tony Elliott and their coaches, you're, you're looking for some strides, some, some improvement here or there. Anything is a win when you're trying to rebuild a football team to this magnitude. you got to remember – 
all the good players that left this team through the portal the last two years, you got to remember Robert and I uh, get uh, telling recruits to back out of their the, uh, national letters of intent. Brennan Armstrong leaves. Offensive uh, lineman coach leaves. Yeah. Robert and I is poo-pooing the program. Yeah, and and they they lost some really good recruits. They lost the tragedy. They lost some four-star linemen. Uh, they lost some dynamic playmakers that, that had signed letters of intent and then backed out because of the coaching change. Um, so you, you're looking for any kind of progress week by week, and, and we're seeing some incremental progress. Uh, I know it hasn't showed up in the win column, but they are they they've been cap- they could have beaten JMU, they could have beaten NC State. I don't think they were going to win at Maryland, although they were in it going into the fourth quarter, and they had a chance. If they can win the next two weeks, and, and that's a big if, but if they can, you're, you're two and four at the midpoint of the season. I would guarantee this, and I hate the word guarantee. Yeah. If, if we had told Wahoo fans that at the midpoint of the season, UVA would be two and four overall and would have found a quarterback that could have been the face of the program for the next three to four years, I would bet you 80% of the fan base would have taken it. I, I think you're probably right about that, Jerry. And and because the quarterback thing was a... It was a, unknown. It was very unknown. Yeah. And a lot of people were questioning whether Tony Musket could make that transition from FCS to FBS and be successful. Uh, there didn't appear to be anybody behind him except Jay Wolfolk, and then he was gone. So the, the quarterback situation was a big quandary heading into the, the season. And like we said so many times on this show, the, the Vegas guys had Virginia's over and under in the win column at three and a half games. They, I don't think they're going to cover three I and don't half. think they're going to cover it, but it's it's not totally out of the question. Uh, so... Here's a very tough question for you. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'll give a plug for our partners over at Stablecraft. Yes. Stablecraft, guys, is a fresh chapter in the ongoing entrepreneurial story that began with the founding of the Hermitage Hill Farm and Stables in 2006. This brewery is all about quality beer, quality cider, fantastic in-person experience, live music, an option for you guys to watch college football. Stablecraft in Waynesboro has got fantastic beer, and I know beer like the Pope knows holy water. This is a fantastic question for you that's coming to you from Allentown, Pennsylvania's finest. Yes. We'll leave it at that. Love Allentown. Okay. This question for you. If the team posts a bagel in the win column and Calandria chooses to transfer at the end of the year, Ooh. is Elliot's job in jeopardy? That's a that's a tough one. Uh, it depends on a lot of factors. I think um, a lot of them is going to depend on Carla Williams, the AD, and where she stands on this. She hired him. Um, if the fan base becomes, if there's so much unrest in the fan base, particularly if they stop coming to games, if the heavy hitters decide that they want to go in another direction. Uh, Carla's got to make a tough decision. And if she doesn't, she could be in hot water as well. Uh, how many times have we seen ADs 
often go down because they the head football coach they support a head football coach. And I'm not saying that's going to happen, and I'm not saying that Carla's job is in jeopardy. Please don't uh, at me on that. Uh, but a lot of this thing could go in a lot of different directions. If those things do happen, they go 0 and 12, and Calandria leaves the program. I mean, that's. I mean, you're starting from scratch at that, that point. That, that looks like everything is becoming unglued. And again, I don't think that's going to happen. I really don't think they're going to go 0 and 12. Um, but it's it's a distinct possibility. But a lot of times that's out of the hands of the AD even. It, a lot of times it's uh, the Board of Visitors is getting a lot of pressure from the heavy hitters. Um, we've seen that happen before. And um, so it, it, it's a possibility. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, but it's certainly something that you can't dismiss. What's uh, I, I think a lot of people are going to say, there's still going to be a lot of people that say, even if they do go 0-12, that he deserves one more year. I, I don't know that that will happen. It's very unusual, or at least it has been in the past, to dismiss the coach after two seasons and not give him a chance to recruit his own players. But we're not in the same college it's a different football era. world that we used to be in. 100%. 100%. A lot of people asking uh, your take on Des Kitchens, the offensive coordinator. Uh, I think I think we got to wait and, and see what he can do with Calandria over the course of the season. Uh, I, I've seen some things the last couple of weeks that I like. He's starting to use some screen passes a little bit more, like the one to Malik Washington the other night that went for I think uh, 40 or 50 yards. Um, I, I think he's on the same page with Calandria, and that's a big part of it. Um, I know he wants to develop a running game they believe in a balanced offense but it's it's really tough right now to, to do that and I think that's why they're probably going to have to depend on Calandria's arm to stay in games because the running game is just not getting it done I, I, th- I think the jury I think the jury is still out on Des Kitchens I know his name came up in the press conference last week with Tony Elliott and Tony defended him and said uh, if you really want to talk X's and O's with somebody, talk to Des Kitchens because he understands the X's and O's as good as anybody. I know a lot of Virginia fans are not going to buy that because uh, I know a lot of people are sour on him. But I think the jury's still out. I think you got to give him a chance to over the course of the season. Just, I don't think you can judge him on last year alone. Hootie Ratcliffe, guys, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. Let's run the uh, Atlantic Coast schedule. Um, and take a look at the teams that you think are truly impactful and teams that could contend for titles. I, I highlighted earlier in the show, guys, that there are six ACC football teams undefeated. Those six, Florida State, Louisville, Duke, North Carolina, Miami, and Syracuse. Now, of those six, four of them have played ACC games, North Carolina, Duke, Louisville, and Florida State. Florida State's 2-0 in conference play, so is Louisville. Duke and North Carolina, 1-0 in conference play. Miami and Syracuse, yet to play an ACC game. Six unblemished. Pick them apart for us. Well, Florida State is definitely in the catbird seat. After beating Clemson on the road 
And that game could have gone either way. I, I thought Florida State would be a little bit more dominant, really, because Florida State has more playmakers, I think, than anybody else in the conference. They were lucky to win that game, really. It was a, that fumble recovery at the end was uh, iced it for them. Um, but Clemson seems to be out of the picture. They've lost two conference games. I, I don't see how that they can make that up. I don't think Florida State is going to lose twice in the league. They could because they still have to play Duke. That game is going to be interesting, I think. That, that game could settle the whole thing. Uh, don't go to sleep on Miami. There's tons of talent there, and they might be finally getting it together for the first time in a long time. And don't go to sleep on North Carolina because they've got a Heisman Trophy candidate in uh, May. He can win a lot of games for you, particularly close games. And their defense seems to be a little bit better. Uh, Syracuse has been somewhat of a surprise, but Jason Beck, who was Bronco Mendenhall's quarterback coach, and a lot of people wanted Beck to be the offensive to be coordinator. Virginia's offensive coordinator. Yeah. They're putting up a Ton of points, Jerry, every week. Syracuse right now, ladies and gentlemen, this is, uh, this is going to burn a lot of Wahoo fans up right now. 177 points scored for the Orange. The most offensive production in the entire conference. Yeah, no question about it. And I attribute that a lot to Jason Beck. I think he would have been an excellent offensive coordinator here. And uh, the there was no hesitation in elevating him to that position at Syracuse once Robert and I left. And uh, I think Syracuse has made an upgrade in that, in that position. I, I think Jason Beck is excellent. He, he impressed me so much by being able to find talent. He found Brendan Armstrong. He found Bryce Perkins. And uh, he knew what to do with him. A lot of folks, um, and now hindsight's twenty twenty, are waxing nostalgic on what could have been with a Poindexter at head coach, a Jason Beck as the offensive coordinator, and a Biscuit Hagens as the lead recruiter here in Charlottesville. I mean, that's a hell of a, hell of a threesome right there. Uh, I like it. <laughs> I know you do. You <laughs> championed the Poindexter for I, head coach. I did, and, I, and uh, they didn't listen to me. Um, but, you know, hindsight, maybe they should have. Um, so if you of any of those six, what's your power ranking like? You got Florida State in the catbird seat. You said, what do you got, Duke in the two slot just because they beat Clemson? I do. I have Duke there. Then I think uh, probably North Carolina. I think UNC too. Uh, Miami is a close. Uh, not much separating. I don't think Miami and Carolina at this point. Um, Syracuse and Louisville, I think. Uh, Syracuse, because their offense is so good, they could break in there, but they still have to play a, a really good opponent. So we'll see when the tough schedule gets tougher. Louisville with Jeff Brom, who was once upon Louisville, a time Louisville's quarterback, could have been Virginia's head coach before Bronco Mendenhall. If, if Bronco had turned the job down, Jeff Brom was set to come in here for a second interview the following Monday, I think Bronco took the job on a Friday. Um, I'll never forget that because when I broke the story, uh, it used to be with your iPhones. Do you remember when you, people would retweet something and your iPhone screen would light up? It would blow up. Yeah, uh, you went viral. Mine looked like a river. Yeah. It was rolling so quickly. And even the Bron uh, BYU people were stunned. Uh, 
the, the BYU uh, Worldwide Television Network called and got me on their network immediately because as I broke the story, he was telling his team. Most of the people at BYU had no idea that was coming. So, But anyway, had Bronco turned that job down on a Friday, Brom was set to come here from Western Kentucky on a Monday for his second interview, and I think he would have taken this job. Would have been a good hire. Would have been a good hire. Yeah. Um, questions are coming in fast and furious. We promise we'll get to basketball for you. Before we get to basketball, this has come in nearly a dozen times about Virginia Tech football. What does it matter with the Hokies? I mean, the Hokies' fall from grace has been, has been quick. It's been dramatic. Um, it's been, uh, I mean, you t- look at football in the Commonwealth right now. And is your best football team in the Commonwealth the one in Harrisonburg? Yes. Right? Yes. Is your second best football team in the Commonwealth, is it the one in Lynchburg or is it the one in Richmond? Well, I, it might be Liberty because there's right. a lot of points. And then again, I, you know, I, I haven't paid attention to who all they've played, but uh, don't discount William and Mary either. They're number five in the uh, FCS rankings. Right. And they're coming to town in two weeks. And Mike London is loaded. He's got most of his players back from last year's national semifinals. And he's got a loaded coaching staff. Yeah, and a lot of former Wahoos on that staff. So they're going to come in here and try to make some noise. Um, I, I don't really – I don't follow Tech as closely as I do Virginia, clearly. Uh, so I, I, I'm not an expert on the Hokies. Uh, maybe we can bring somebody on here and, as a guest who is. But – uh, Jason Fuentes really ran that program into the ground. Into the ground. And uh, they are going through the same thing as Virginia. It's a major rebuild. I, I don't think they had some of the talent issues uh, leaving the program like Virginia did, although they, they did lose a lot of good players. Uh, so they're in a major rebuild as well. I think the state's wide open right now for somebody, Virginia or Virginia Tech, to make a major jump and take control of the state. And corner the recruiting market. And, and, and right now, neither one of them are doing that. And so it, it's just left, it's low-hanging fruit for somebody out there to... 100%. To, to, to reestablish themselves as the major power in the state of Virginia, and nobody's doing it. Virginia Tech, ladies and gentlemen, is, is a poultry one and three overall the Hokies have been outscored 100 to 86 on the season. Virginia Tech, the the path to victory is is challenging. I mean, they're at Florida State in a couple of weeks. They got Wake Forest in Blacksburg. They got high flying Syracuse in Blacksburg. Then they travel to Louisville. They got NC State at home. I mean, the the Virginia Virginia Tech matchup is in Charlottesville on the 25th of November. You throw out the records for that one. Anything can happen in that one. I mean. You're looking at a football team with Virginia Tech that, you know, if you put the over-under at three and a half wins, I'm not sure where I'd put my money. They got one at least. I, I, I really thought they would beat Marshall. I didn't think they would lose that game. And that, that's got to really upset the people in Blacksburg. You, you would have never thought that a few years ago, that they would be capable of losing to Marshall. And, um, lost to Purdue. Lost to Rutgers on the road. Boilermakers beat them 24-7. Marshall clips them 24-17. Purdue, excuse me, 24-17. Rutgers pounds them. Their only victory against Old Dominion. And, uh, yeah, that, and, and that's um, – and Old Dominion has beaten them a couple of times in, during the Fuente stretch. Right. So, uh, 
it's it's a sad state uh, for FBS football right now. And although JMU is, is making a lot of noise, but um, you know most of the people still look at Virginia or Virginia Tech as as the pilot programs in the state of Virginia, even though JMU is having more success. People are waiting for one of these teams, one of these programs to wake up, if not both of them. There you go. Um, basketball season, a little saving grace right there. Um, tough pill to swallow. One of the most coveted recruits in the nation chooses Duke. Um, a guy that, um, I mean, let's cut to the chase, could be, as a freshman, one of the best players in college basketball. Yeah. Um, a guy that can do anything on the basketball court. Still, Tony Bennett's team seems absolutely loaded. Um, practice has started. Uh, John Paul Jones Arena, it's just a matter of weeks before that's rocking again. Where do you want to go with Tony Bennett and this Virginia men's basketball team? Well, we'll look back to this past week when Con Knipple, uh I've been mispronouncing his name, it's Knipple, it's Knipple, uh from Milwaukee. Uh, we, a lot of people, and I had good vibes about it too. I really thought the kid was going to come here. Uh, I know that Tony Bennett and those guys during his recruiting visit and his entire recruiting process did everything they could possibly do to, to get the kid in the fold. And I don't know exactly what happened. Duke came in late. It's hard to beat Duke on players. They, they, they took T.J. Powers away from Virginia, who led on him for a long time. Duke came in late, took him, came in late, took Knipple. Um I, I talked to his uncle, uh, Jeff Nor, uh, Norgard, who played, I believe, in the NBA and uh, played, was a teammate of Tony Bennett's. I know that he wanted his nephew to come to Virginia. I, I have a feeling that his mom probably wanted him to come here because of her affiliation with the Bennett family. Um, I heard that some of the players said that on his official visit here, he. He seemed a little aloof, a little distant, so maybe he had already made up his mind that he was going to go to Duke. I don't know. But uh, it, it was a recruiting blow because it was a a major star that Virginia really wanted and I think would have taken this program to the Final Four. But you got to move on. They had a couple of other good recruits that came here over the weekend. Uh, Nate Ament from Northern Virginia. He's the number one recruit in the state for the class of See the 25 or a 26 kid. I'm, uh, and and another kid. Um, I got their names down here. Uh, Latrell Almond, a power forward from uh, John Marshall. He's class of 26. Uh, he's a he's top 30 in the nation in his class. Uh, and Ament, uh, who's offered by Duke <laughs> and uh, a bunch of other schools is um, also top uh, 20 nationally in his class. He's a um, he's a Ford as well. So uh, they both visited over the weekend. I think I guess they were at the uh, game sat, uh, Friday night. But uh, yeah, they've started practice. Uh, I know Tony Bennett's very excited about this team. He feels like that it's. Uh, doesn't have the holes that some of his teams have this had. This team is in the loaded. Past. I think they're loaded. They've they're got loaded. a lot of guys that can shoot it. Yeah. A lot of guys who can score. Um, a lot of versatility. A lot of depth. 
He's going to have a hard time again. Spread of the minutes. Playing time. Yeah. yeah, spread of the minutes. I mean, let's talk starting potential starting lineup here. I think you got maybe you got two, maybe three locks for the starting lineup. I think Reese Beekman's an unquestioned lock and the leader of this basketball team. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with us there. I think Isaac McNeely can shoot the lights out of the basketball. I think he's a strong lock for this starting lineup. And I think the upside of the lanky and explosive Ryan Dunn puts him in the starting lineup, the the, uh, DeAndre Hunter clone. Where do you see the other two spots shaken out? Does it go Dante Harris, the transfer from Georgetown? Does it go uh, the kid that's transferring from St. Thomas, Minnesota? Rody. Rody. Does it go, um, you know, how do you see the other two positions playing out? I, I think they'll probably go with Jordan Minor. Uh, for some transfer. size? Yeah, for some size. You've got to have a guy down low. 6'8", uh, 240. He plays bigger than his size. I think he has an uh, incredible wingspan, if I recall. Um, Bond is a guy you got to keep your eye on. I, I heard he's really developed well. Uh, the kid that transferred in from Oklahoma uh, can shoot as well. He he started out uh, last season for the Sooners uh, just tearing it up. You're and talking he, Jake Groves? Jake Groves. He, he went into a little bit of a slump and then kind of shot his way out of it at the end. But he's another shooter, scorer. Uh, Rody can shoot the eyes out of it. I think he led the na- uh, all the nation's freshmen in uh, points per game points per game last season. McNeely is, um, I think he's going to be even better because he's the kind of kid that works hard on his game. I think he'll be more of a force this year than he has been um, just because I think he's probably developing his overall game, not just a three-point shooter. I'd love to see McNeely put the ball on the deck and attack the rack. I think he will. And get to the rim a little bit more. That's what I would love to see right here. And uh, Harris, uh, my son, did a great story on him talking to his high school coach um, and some of the things he's done. But uh, they've, they've got so many different parts, Jerry, that they can, they can – you know, we know that Tony Bennett likes to play – Two point guards at the same time, so I'm sure we're going to see some of that. Uh, he's been known to play three guards and even sometimes four guards at the same time. So I think a lot of these guys are going to be interchangeable. And uh, he can throw a small lineup at you, a bigger lineup at you. Um, a lot of it may be determined about how well they play defense because if you don't play defense for Tony, you don't, you don't see the court as much. So I, I think he's just delighted with uh, all the talent that he's collected on this team. You got uh, this team as Sweet 16 caliber? Uh, right now, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think so. because And they may not win the ACC regular season like last year's team did, but I think this team, uh, again, has guys who – a lot of guys who can score and a lot of guys who can shoot. And that's the thing that kind of let them down late last season – the shooting. The shooting. They, yeah. They just couldn't buy a basket at times, and it showed. And uh, there's no way in the world they should have ever lost to Furman in the NCAAs. And there was also a little dissension on the team. That's no longer an issue. Uh, I, I think this is just going to be a healthy, fun team to watch play basketball. Virginia men's basketball, guys, they got the blue and white scrimmage on Saturday, October 14th. 
and the season opens on the 6th of November against Tarleton State. I mean, we are talking five weeks away. Not long. Not long from the start of college basketball. This is one of our best shows yet. He's the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Jerry Ratcliffe. We encourage you, the viewers and listeners, to go to jerryratcliffe.com. I'll say it again, jerryratcliffe.com. For anything UVA-related, Hootie, we got some drinking to do. <laughs> Stablecraft Brewery's got a six-pack here for us, for Judah and I. I think uh, Scott and Hootie have got some, uh, was it blackberry or blueberry cider? Blackberry cider. Blackberry cider. That looks delicious. It does look delicious. It looks delicious right there. Um, Waynesboro's finest guys, Stablecraft Brewery. Enjoy live music, activities for families and kids. Great craft beer, great craft cider, fantastic food. An opportunity to watch college football and college basketball. Stablecraft Brewery in Waynesboro. Mayor just walked by the studio right there, Mayor Lloyd Snook. Great Judah, guy. Great guy, absolutely. Judah Wickhauer, props to you. Hootie Ratcliffe. He's the man. Judah. Judah is the man. Hootie, you crushed it today. Thank you. Wow, thank you. I thank all the people out there viewing. We appreciate your support. And, and don't forget the Virginia basketball women. We, we'll, have, we'll talk about them some as we get closer to the season. They're going to be good, I think. I can't wait to highlight UVA women's basketball. The captain of the team, Sam Brunel. Sam is awesome, awesome gal. That's Great really ambassador is. of that program. Absolutely. Um, Jerry Ratcliffe of jerryratcliffe.com. For Judah Wickhauer and Hootie, my name is Jerry Miller, and this is the Jerry and Jerry Show. The I Love Seville Show, guys, is up in 59 minutes. Thank you kindly for joining us. So long, everybody.